the book. How we got it, how to get the most out of it. I had different titles for this, but the idea is you can expand your appetite for God's word. You can get more out of God's word. You can enjoy studying the Bible more than you do. And it's not a technical thing. It's a practical thing. The verse we've been looking at for several weeks, one verse, is Psalm 1911. You have that in your notes? Read it with me out loud, okay? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Last week, we looked at the first part of that verse. Um, the two things that David did. I have stored up your word, and then secondly, where he stored it up. Those are the two things we studied last week. What he did, he stored it up. Where he stored it, in his heart. And we spent the whole night talking about those two things. And the idea there was that... that uh, David was referring to something he did after he read the law of God. David didn't have what you and I have, of course. I get that. But what he did after he read, heard, learned the law of God, or had it read to him, storing it up in his heart, he, he, he meant that he was preserving what he had read. Digesting it. Getting, getting nutrients out of it. It's, it's like all food. The, the problem is... ...what your body does automatically. You don't, you, don't, you know, have a, a hamburger... ...and then you don't sit down and say, Now, body, digest that. You've got to turn that hamburger... ...into skin cells and, and, and muscle. Please don't go to fat. Please, please, and hair and strength. You don't sit and plan that out. That's the beauty of the way God made you... ...that you eat and your body just does all that automatically. But what your body does automatically with physical food... ...your soul does not do automatically with God's word. Okay? It's not an automatic process. It does not just happen. David stored it up. You can get that online, the notes, the video, all that stuff. The place where he stored it. I've stored up your word in, in my heart. This, this, is, this is what Jesus was talking about. The same process Jesus talks about in John 15, where he says, if you, if you abide in me and... And my words abide in you. Ask what you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. My words, my words abide in you. Not just that you, you hear them, can quote them. There's something more that Jesus is looking for. That these, these words don't bounce off the heart. But they, they have an impact. They register in some ways. And then... We looked at James. James talks about the very same process. James 1.21. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. He says the implanted word. 
which is able to save your souls. If you still carry around an old King James, it's got that beautiful word, the engrafted word, which is able to save you. It's a striking verb. It's a gardening kind of a verb. One kind of tree is engrafted into another in such a way that the life of the one actually flows into and shapes the other. And so James, like the psalmist, like Jesus, James is saying the same thing. He, he means for us to think of the word of God after we read it as still active, as still doing something. So it's not just between the covers of your Bible, but it's, but it's infected you, like a virus. It's, it's gotten into you. I was thinking about this. This isn't in your notes. I was thinking about this uh, for the last hour before this service because it's a, it's a process that's easier to read in notes than it is to, to really get a workable handle on. The most common things in the Christian life are sometimes the very most uh, profound and hard to explain. I think what, what David is talking about, storing up his word, what Jesus is talking about, his words abiding in us, what James is talking about, his words engrafted, I think they're all pursuing the same idea. It's, it's a kind of... It's a kind of being constantly affected. It's a kind of uh, constant remembering. It's a, it's a type of continuous reminding. It's, it's having the word um, constantly being brought to the very front so that it creates a kind of counterweight to your own reflexive desires. You don't let your desires go automatically before they, get, before they get checked by the Word of God that's living and active by this inward remembering, this inward reminding, this constant counterweight to your own instant desires. It's, it, it's, it's, it's complicated, but it's at the very same time a lot of mental work and the work of the Holy Spirit at the very same time. It all relates to the last part of that text. David didn't just read the word aimlessly. He treasured the word. He hid it in his heart because he made the wonderful discovery that, that it had the capacity to change his tastes, to change his desires. He found, he founded, he found changes taking place in his thoughts. He found his desires experiencing a kind of metamorphosis and freedom. He found freedom James 1.25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and, and, and perseveres. Because, because the change isn't something that you, you do Wednesday and you're a new person Thursday. You, you persevere, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The law of liberty, James calls it. That's it exactly, I think. Divine uh, possibilities start to open up. Unclogging 
the arteries of the heart. I have stored up my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What, what do the writers of the scriptures, the Holy Spirit behind them, what do they intend, what do they intend to happen in my heart as I read my Bible? You, you got a Bible, right? You read it? What, what, what's supposed to be happening? Well, I, I guess I should be gaining information. I should be seeing what happened. I was reading, this isn't in your notes either, and I shouldn't be doing this, I haven't got time. This is like my Christian ed class. I start and my whole class goes, oh boy, here he goes. You, you look, at, look at 1 John. If you've got a Bible of some kind, if not, I'll just read it to you. But look at 1 John chapter 1. So here's the Apostle John. You could find dozens of examples. I'm just picking one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Okay? The life was made manifest. And we have seen it. We, he means, he's talking about the apostles. He's one of them. And testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Okay, so don't miss what's happened here. You know those words. Here's John. He says, we saw Jesus. We, 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 we heard everything he said. We saw everything he did. We touched him. We listened to him. We ate with him. Now, I never saw Jesus. Any of you? We never ate with him. We never, did he have a high voice, a low voice? Well, we never heard him speak. I never saw any of the things that John saw. And John's been, John's been a pile of bones for, you know, 1900 plus years. There's not even bones anymore. There's just dust. How, how am I going to, how am I going to see the the glory and the wonder and the greatness and the everything that John saw. How am, I gonna, how am I going to experience that? And the answer isn't complicated. I'm, I'm going to read his words. That's what you do too, right? I don't have any other way of doing this. So apparently something very special is to happen as I engage the word meaningfully, that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. How's that going to happen in my life? By reading the book. But not just reading it with the process of gaining information. Let's continue. Point number one, sorry. Studying the word will be a dry, empty process unless it's read with an eye to personal sin. This is what is so, I think, instructive about David's word. He insists that the word of God um, immediately brought 
the whole concept of sin to life in his mind. He, he couldn't relish the word without sin floating to the top of his attention. So something about the word, meditating on the word, storing it up, he says, that I might not sin against you. It had everything to do with building an intolerance in David's heart for his own sin. He, he couldn't live with things that he could live with before. The word was making that change in his affections. David wasn't just thinking about gaining information, as important as that is. Nothing wrong with that. Learn. We need sound and accurate understanding when you read, we read our Bibles. But, but David only saw that as a means to an end. The idea was he stored up the word. He treasured it in his heart in order to be kept from sin. In other words, he sensed that he would not be able, his own desires would bend in the direction of sin almost automatically if the word of God weren't stored up in the same place where his desires were formed. New Testament treats the same subject in a different way. James is the classic example again. He says in James 1, 21 to 25, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word or engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And then he says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He, he, he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. So the liberty there isn't the liberty to do whatever I want to do. It's the, the liberty to see the kind of transformation taking place in my life that I can't bring about by myself. It's this spiritual freedom. And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says it's, here, here you sit, you got your Bible, I got my Bible, we read whenever you find your time, or we listen to it, or we hear it taught in some way, we're exposed to it. And James says it's like a mirror. And, and, he, and he cleverly kind of paints a picture that's so ridiculous that, that it kind of registers. You know, you, you get up in the morning and, and you brush all sorts of stuff out of your eyes that you wonder how it got there during the night. And you, you look into the mirror and it's easy to forget, all of us. The reason we go to the mirror in the morning is so we don't go outside and frighten small children. You, 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 you look into the mirror and, and you see things that just need to be done. There's a sense in which, in fact, you really don't look at a mirror at all, do you? You don't look at a mirror any more than you look at a window. I mean, you look through the window to see what's outside, and you look at a mirror to see what needs to be done in, in your face, in a mirror, or in your life with God's word. It's not like reading a telephone directory. That dated me, didn't it?
you want the Word of God to do its designed work, always read it with an eye to personal sin and personal holiness because that's, that's what it's... Like a mirror, that's what it's for. That's what the Holy Spirit does with it. Look for good examples to follow. Look for bad examples to shun. Look for commands to obey. Look for promises to treasure. Look for warnings to heed. But always, always read with an eye to your own heart. Point number two. The word treasured or stored or engrafted the word treasured in the heart is designed to be the store out of which the rest of your life flows. So David says, I hid, I treasured, I stored up your word in my heart. I did it for a purpose, that I might not sin against you. So I want to look briefly now at that, that process. How are our lives changed by the word of God? Because David isn't the only one to address this idea. Jesus does it in different words... In Matthew 12, 35, he says, A good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Granted, Jesus isn't just talking about the word, like if my words abide in you, but he is talking about this principle that our lives, our lives aren't determined at any one specific moment. You have to back up and see what was put into the life to understand what's coming out of it. Storing up is the idea. So the main idea in Christ's words is that life doesn't just happen and life doesn't just happen at the last moment. That's a key issue for our discussion on hiding the word in the heart. Um... I think we as Christians need to know how spiritual change happens in our hearts. And, and the main point here is that the way your life is determined might be differently than you perceived. I think they both are saying that life isn't determined just by your mental calculations. I think this is my problem and if I just do this, I should be able to fix it. Or, the quality of your life isn't determined by moral resolution. This year I'm going to be a different person. I want to look at two different methods that you can try to change your life. One won't work and one will. The first, the method that will never work is one of, of uh, imitation. I, I can't tell you I enjoy watching golf on television. I don't have a lot of vices, but boy, if I can free up a Saturday afternoon, I'll usually be here in the morning. I shouldn't have told you that. Don't call. I'm the only here, and there's no one there answering the phones. But if I can get home in the afternoon, I have my couch, and Rini has hers, and mine is in rougher shape because I lie on mine, and I put my feet on the arm, and I put all the pillows at one end. My wife makes these beautiful pillows, and I scrunch them all up, put about six of them behind me, and if I can have a couple of hours and watch golf, life is good. I can't tell you the number of times I've watched Dustin Johnson or Jason Day 
blast a tee shot down the fairway with, at least from my perspective, what appears to be no effort at all. And I say to myself, Don, look at, look at how easy that is. I'm going to do it like that. And usually my rounds of golf following those televised tournaments are, are deeply depressing times. Can't tell you the number of times I've driven home wanting to cut up all my golf clubs into one-inch pieces because I just can't hit the ball like Dustin Johnson or Jason Day just because I'd like to. This is the way a lot of Christians go about planning their Christian life. They hear some sermon, they read a biography, they hear about some person, they're supposed to love their enemies. They're supposed to turn the other cheek. They're supposed to bear with others without malice or revenge. And they say to themselves, that's what I, I should do that. I'm going to do that. And off they go. Only, only their enemies mistreat them and they can't stand their enemies. They'd rather die than turn the other cheek. And if they thought they could get away with it without being caught, they'd pound their enemy into the ground and leave a tract beside him. And over time, if they continue that approach of simply trying to imitate personal holiness they see or hear about, either they're just going to feel condemned and guilty, knowing they're just pretenders, or they'll conclude that Christianity works for some people, but it's not going to work for them. And they'll give up. That's the method of imitation and willpower. I'd like to, yeah, I'm going to be like that. The second method for personal transformation and holiness is the principle that David outlined as storing up the word in the heart, or Jesus described as laying up store within, or having his words abide within us. Now, I never can, in this life, hit a golf ball like Jason Day. But I could, if I were serious and I had the time, I could improve greatly. If I was willing to take the time, if I just went to the driving range and practiced and tried to take the various things and work them into my own life, and if I could learn to enjoy that, that discipline, I could vastly improve if that was important to me. The point here is there are certain things that can never come just by way of wanting them and desiring them and copying. Lois played, wasn't that beautiful when she played the piano solo this morning? As she's playing, I'm sitting there thinking, boy, I wish I could play the piano like that. I don't, I do not ever want to practice the piano. I took piano lessons to grade six. When I quit, both my parents told me I was going to miss it and regret it the rest of my life. I never missed it for a second. But if I could just copy that, I would do that. But you can't do it that way. You can only do it by assimilating step by step and building a hunger and a desire and an appetite and a practice 
that brings fruit somewhere farther down. You lay up store and, and the beautiful piano playing grows out of that. Jesus said everything that is to come in your path to Christ-likeness must be drawn out of what you have laid up already in your heart. That's why. That's why he talked about, he talked about his words being like living bread. Not a moral list. Almost nothing is more important to remember than that. The difference between those two approaches is, is enormous. It's what the psalmist was teaching. It's what Jesus was talking about. Actions are determined by the storeroom of your heart. So, so you... Here you are, you're working through the Bible like I am. And, and you know as well as I do... There are some chapters when you're working through Isaiah. Anybody in Isaiah right now in a Bible reading program? Boy, tough book. And you read three or four chapters in Isaiah and you close it up and you go, I don't feel anything all that special. What, what is happening there? Well, even, even, even when, I was thinking about this just Recently, so you're reading through Isaiah, and you're reading these these uh, oracles to Egypt and Babylon and Persia, and you read all these things, and you read of all these judgments and stuff like that, and then you quit, and you think, well, that was edifying. But what happens is, what I find is, when I see and hear people who talk about God just being this spineless being who just embraces and loves everyone, no matter what they do, and and group hug kind of a God. And all of a sudden those words, those fiery, hard to digest words from Isaiah come back to me and I go, no, boy, he, he's not like that. He's not wimpy. He's not indifferent. He's not non-judgmental. And who knows, but somewhere down the road, I might, in some way I can't even explain now, I might be kept from carelessness in some area that I'm not even aware of what lies down the road of my future. And some of those obscure passages are going to come back at the right time and say, you be careful how you deal with Scott. But it's not likely that right at that moment I'll whip out the book of Isaiah. But it'll be something that got stored up somewhere along the way and never did register as all that precious at the moment. But you draw on it later on. You draw on it later on. Let the word of God shape your desires. You can't live just by moral effort. You need to have the affections of your heart changed. That's a gradual process of storing up God's word. Three, almost done. We need to remain alert to one danger that is common to all who walk with Jesus. And that is this. It's very easy for you, for me, for all of us to lose the edge of our sense of urgency to keep God's word stored up or treasured in my heart. 
I say in the notes, I don't mean that I will love God less. I don't mean that I intend to let him down in any way from all outward appearances. My spiritual life continues exactly as it always has. No glaring point of, of need or change that you would observe. But my perception of my need for God's word regularly stored up in my heart can just get um, squeezed out a little bit. I'm busy. My perception of my need for God's word stored up in my heart can get numbed. And it can happen without there being any view, any change in my view of God's word. It's God's word, God's inerrant word, his holy word, his inspired word. I don't change my beliefs. I, I just begin very gradually to live, um, especially if I've followed Jesus for any length of time, like most of you in this room, and you start to follow Jesus on the basis of your accumulated energy and experience. Your intelligence, your willpower. The problem with living solely on willpower is my moral willpower can only address my outward actions. Only God's word starts the work much deeper at the level of transforming my tastes and my desires. So that, so that you don't just pursue righteousness, you gradually start to prefer righteousness. That's the kind of change only God's word can make. Your willpower can't. Put the word of God in the same place where all your sins originate. Store up God's word where your desires are formed. And, and let it live there, like I said earlier, by the way you remember it, remind your desires of it, apply it to your life. Keep it alive there by the way you think about it and pray about it. Pray it to life every day in advance of temptation to sin because when the temptation becomes in, intense, usually we don't see the wickedness of our desires. Am, am I right? When temptation becomes intense... It brings along with itself the tendency to justify it. That's what makes it temptation. We don't feel it as repulsive as we should. It's a battle of persistence. It takes time. But only the word of God read... And after it's read, uh, considered and kept alive. So the, the idea here is how you let the energy of the word hold on after you've read it. That's what we're talking about. Only that process persisted in starts to shape the way you think. And when the way you think gets changed... Temptation gradually loses a lot of its energy. It's like that hurricane, eh? When it's over the warm water and it's growing and growing and growing in strength, and when it comes over land, it starts to break up and lose its energy. 
And, and uh, every one of us, you've got this swirling around of all sorts of desires. And only the word of God kept alive in the very same place takes the energy out of temptation. You don't see it all at once. You don't see it all at once. You store it up. Store it up. Everyone said? When I say everyone said and you say amen, what you're saying is, so be it. So be it in my heart, Lord. Not just, thank goodness he's done. Thanks, Lord, for your word. Starts on paper. It's inspired. But keep it alive in our hearts as we consider it and apply it where our own desires would take us in a different direction. So faith gets applied. Church, look at me just for a sec. Uh, sorry to labor this. How many times have you heard this? How could so-and-so do that? They were brought up in church. They know better. Have you heard anybody ever say that? They know better. And, and what's meant by that is they've, they've, they've heard all the stories. They've got all the information. How could they do that? But it never, ever has been an issue of knowing. Knowing doesn't do it. What has to happen is faith has to be applied. Faith has to be applied that the word of God pressed in the opposite direction of my own desires and inclinations will be more fruitful. Faith has to come along with what's known and say, it might not look like it now, but if I keep going with my own inclinations rather than God's word, I'm going to destroy myself. That's what faith does with truth. What you know isn't enough. What you know has to be fed with faith. This will bear fruit. And some people never do that. They just know it. Like they, like they know their phone number, like they know their address, like they know some history. They just know it. But it has to be fueled by faith, what we know. And everyone said amen. That's the prayer part. 